Well, thank you very much, uh, Duncan, and uh, thank you to you for your invitation back. Um, I left a very, very damp Dundee yesterday uh, with the kind of flooding that people there cannot remember in a generation. Uh, a number of the church family flooded out of their homes, a very difficult situation. Uh, but I'm very glad to be here, uh, but remember us as we try to, to help and uh, support one another. And don't, work about, don't worry about the technical problems earlier on. Um, I've, I learned very, all, very early on as a pastor to never ever give the technical team hassle about these things because first of all, they do a fantastic job and these things are only noticed when they go wrong. And secondly, they can wreak terrible revenge on you <laughs> as, a, as a preacher. So. Thank you guys for, for all that you do. Well, Duncan read for us Psalm 8, and I would invite you to turn uh, to that psalm as we look at it together. And as you do that, let me ask you, what is your favorite hymn? What is your favorite hymn? Was it that hymn that we've just sung together? How great thou art. That would be a favorite for many people. Or praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet, thy tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, who like thee his praise should sing. What does the singing of your favorite hymn do for you? Maybe you've been coming to church and the kids have been playing up. Maybe you've lost your keys or you've misplaced your mobile phone as I did this morning. You're flustered. You come in. The band strikes up. Oh, Lord, my God. When I in awesome wonder, and suddenly something begins to happen. The combination of the music and the truth begin to impact upon your heart. And you begin to raise your gaze to the God who is the focus of your worship. And as you do that, your perspective changes, doesn't it? From the things of this world that are passing and transitory to that which is ultimate and eternal. Well, Derek Kidner, who wrote a wonderful commentary in the psalm, says this, this psalm, Psalm 8, is an unsurpassed example of what a hymn should be, celebrating as it does the glory and grace of God, rehearsing who he is and what he has done, and relating us and our world to him in, with an economy of words and in a spirit mingled with joy and awe. David, the writer of this psalm, erupts with a song of worship. The Psalms are the songbook of the Old Testament. And there is something powerful and emotional about truth allied to tunefulness, isn't there? God is so wise. He knows what makes us tick. He knows that we need his word, but he also knows that we can be inspired emotionally by the worship, that, by the, the music that he creates in and through us. This song, Psalm 8, begins with the creator, verses 1 to 2, the creator of all that is, and yet whose glory is, we are told, 
not only in, but above the heavens. Secondly, whose creation, verses three to four, inspires awe. And who thirdly, and I think this is really important for our day, who crowns humankind, verses five to nine, as the pinnacle of creation. And God does this through Jesus, who in Matthew 21 and the temple cleansing takes these words of Psalm 8 and appropriates them to himself. Jesus Christ is the crowning glory of humanity through whom we are restored. What we find in Psalm 8 is a repeated pattern of cause and effect. Now, we could look at this as a a literary device, but it's much more than that. Cause and effect number one, God's majestic name and other worldly glory, verse one, evokes praise and worship from the littlest and the least, from children and infants you have ordained praise. David's apprehension of creation, verse three, has a consequent effect upon him, verse four. How can it be that the God who made this, cares for, is bound in covenant love with me? Cause and effect number three, by his divine action, God makes humans as we are for the purpose of crowning us with glory and honor. This teaching is meant to do something for us, to remind us, in the words of Graham Kendrick, Christ who became one of us lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne. There is human flesh on the throne of the universe today. Jesus reigns. So may this psalm impact us this morning. And I've really been praying that you would be encouraged this morning. Because if we grasp what is being taught in Psalm 8, we will come to see creation and ourselves in a new way. You know, there is a a social media group um, wherein David Attenborough posts tremendous photographs of creation, of animals, and different aspects of creation. And it is magnificent. And I often, as they come up on social media streams, I, I often enjoy them But as I enjoy them, I'm praising God because as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I see the world as you do in a different way. That I don't just enjoy creation. It leads me to worship. And that's what's happening in Psalm 8. What David sees of creation leads him to worship not creation, for that's idolatry, but the God of creation The hymn writer said this, sky above is softer blue and earth around is deeper green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. That's the experience of the believer looking at creation and that was the experience of David here what for more, most people is simply something to look at and admire, leads the believer to worship. First of all, then, the Creator, verses 1 to 2. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength or ordained praise in another translation because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Our God, Yahweh, 
is the uncreated creator who by the word of his power calls all that there is into being. He inhabits creation, but he is not part of creation. Neither is he dependent upon it like we are. Now this helps us when we talk to people who say that they are atheists. I remember listening to John Lennox from this part of the world talking about that light bulb moment that he had when he realized that the God people were denying was not the God he served. The God of Israel is not one of the made-up gods of men, but the God whose glory is above the heavens, unimaginably glorious. Yet implicit in these first verses is not only something unimaginably glorious, but astonishingly personal. That's the way this psalm combines, combines the glory of God with his personal engagement with his people. This unimaginably glorious God reveals himself by name to his people. Now, it's an easy detail to miss, but it's really important. He is Yahweh. We find that out in the third chapter of Exodus, which describes the encounter of Moses with God. And in answer to the question, whom shall I say has sent me? God says, I am that I am has sent you. Yahweh, or I be that I be has sent you. So is Jesus Yahweh? Yes, he is. For God is one God in three persons. And this is why in passages like John 8, 58, Jesus triggered the, the Jewish rulers of the day by quoting that I am word. And they knew exactly what he was saying and they knew exactly the claim that he was making. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength or praise because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. As David sings this grand psalm, something is happening that he expresses in a beautiful way that even the littlest and the least are affected by the truth expressed in the praise. Let me ask you how you came to worship this morning, because that matters. One of the things, even before I, I had an experience of conversion, one of the things that really impressed me as a young boy was this. Even though I didn't understand fully what it meant to have a relationship with God, as I went to church Sunday by Sunday in the south side of Glasgow, in Harper Memorial Baptist Church, what I saw there was the reality of worship. People truly engaging with the living God. And there was a young woman who was converted in Dundee six years ago, and she said that to me recently. That was the thing that grabbed her. When she came in amongst us, she thought, these people really believe this. And it impacted her heart. And you get that sense as David writes what he does here. He's not playing any games. He really, really, truly, truly believes what he's saying. And as we come together, despite all the troubles that we face at times, we determine ourselves to worship. I remember 
Not long after we were first married, my wife was very, very ill. And it lasted for years. And I remember in troubled times, traveling around the west coast of Scotland, working and slipping those worship cassettes into the cassette cassette player young people's a little cartridge with two spools and some tape that went round. And the wonderfully satisfying thing about tapes was that if they went wrong, you could fix them with a pencil, couldn't you? Do you remember that? I held, I held the office record for the most radio cassettes stolen. And I think there was a reason for that because so often I was lifted by listening to the music on them. It just changed the whole perspective for me. No matter what I was facing, there was a God who had called me and who was sovereign over me. And these times were times of hard times, but strengthening times. I wonder if you're feeling down this morning. I wonder if life is crowding in on you then what should you do? Well, you should do what you're doing now. You're joining in worship with other believers. That's a great thing to do. Or if you can't listen to worship songs, or get, here's an idea, a radical idea, get a hymn book and use it. And sing your way back to strength and in so doing, silence the enemy. That's what's happening here. Silencing the foe and the avenger in the praise of our living God. David says, O Lord, that first word is Yahweh, I am that I am, our Lord. The second word is Adon, which means firm, strong Lord and Master. O Lord, our Lord, you have set your glory above the heavens. And then the consequent impact is, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength or praise because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So something happens not only to you when you worship, but something happens to the enemy, and it's this. His mouth is shut. And that's wonderful. So get your strategy sorted out. It's very practical this morning. Get your strategy sorted out. Sing a psalm. Develop your playlist of new worship songs and old hymns that will lift you. And then go and sing your wee heart out. Find out what happens. As the truth allied to music impacts your heart. God is so wise. He knows how we are made. And then secondly, the creator whose creation, verses 3 to 4, inspires awe. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And so the movement in the psalm is outward from the creator to his wonderful creation. Now I wonder here, if David is reflecting back to his times as a shepherd looking after his father's flocks, and in between fighting off bears and lions at night, Maybe he's lying on his back at nighttime and looking up into the starry sky, the heavens, and marveling at the greatness of God 
When I look at your heavens, he says, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Oh, he says, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? This God who made all this cares for me. It's wonderful, isn't it? Now, I've heard some people saying something like this, that human beings are just like microbes in the vastness of the universe. What possible significance can we have in the vastness of space? But the problem with a view like that is this. Such a view has too small a concept of our gods, of Yahweh. And more to the point here, no sense of the nature of the one who has made all things, but reveals himself personally to his people. That's what we mean when we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. The kind of God whose greatness, seen in the stars, yet evokes by the work of the Holy Spirit a response like this in David. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? This is mind-stretching and it's meant to be. God has created creation for that purpose so that when we look at, we look at it, we say, that is utterly, absolutely astonishing. And then the thought hits us that God is greater than that. He is the one who by the word of his power called it into being. Do you realize what awaits you, brothers and sisters? as you move towards meeting that God in eternity. It is wonderful, absolutely wonderful, mind-stretching. David looks at creation and wonders at God's care. That should bring you security as well, that whatever you face this morning, God's got you. If you belong to Christ, you are secure in Him. Because the God who made all that there is has you in his grip. Our God is far greater than words can make known. Exalted and holy, he reigns on his throne. In infinite splendor, he rules over all, yet he sees the poor sparrow and he knows when she falls. His power is great and will ever endure. His wisdom is peaceable, gentle, and sure. But greater than all these glories I see is the glorious promise that He cares for me. So what are our two takeaways so far? Well, first of all, if we're feeling down, we sing God's truth. Elton John sings that sad songs say so much, but God's word of itself put to music says more. Sing your way to strength. Truth to worship. Feeling blue, well, get out and look at the heavens, number two. And know that you mean something to the God who made the Milky Way. From awe to worship. Life in a different dynamic. And then thirdly, the creator who crowns humankind, verses five to nine, as the pinnacle of creation. Verse four, beginning there, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Verse five, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. 
So this creator, whose name is majestic, whose glory can only be fully known by himself, holds, wait for this, a high view of humanity. In a world where human beings are looked on as a rash on the face of planet Earth, God's view is different. Each individual made in his image and having an inherent value thereby. Humankind as the pinnacle of creation. Now we are lifted by this thought. We might be tempted to stop there. We hear the the echoes and the strains of, of Louis Armstrong, don't we? I see trees of green and red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And we think, ah, isn't the world wonderful? And then the news comes on. News from Palestine, news from Israel. And we know that something is wrong. It was just an incident that happened a few weeks ago. I was just going into the office in Ward Road in Dundee, where the church is, and it just really hit me. I was just walking along, and there's this woman walking along, and she was weeping into her mobile phone. And it just hit me really hard. I don't know what's going on in her life, but something's gone wrong. And it seemed to me just to stir in me the thought that there is something wrong in our world, despite all of its magnificence and beauty. You see, when David is talking about humankind in these terms, He's talking about humankind in its primal form, for he knew his world, and let's face it, David knew himself as well. Genesis 1, beautiful, beautiful chapter of God's creative power. Then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them as the pinnacle of creation. The pinnacle of creation. Verse 31 of chapter 1, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was not just good, was it? It was very good. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But, and watch out for the profundity of this, Genesis 1 is followed by Genesis 3. The serpent, the fall. Did God really say? Brothers and sisters in Jesus, the attack is always on the word. The plan of the enemy is always to undermine the word. Did God really say? And God's vice regents on earth, the primal two, Adam and Eve, listened, and the crown slipped. Now, you might be thinking, well, Jim, if only you just stopped 
a few paragraphs ago, you know. We were all very happy. We were going to go home and have a nice lunch and all is well with the world. Now you've ruined the whole thing. You have burst our balloon. Ah, but it gets better. It gets better. Because David knew that one day God would act to change things permanently, permanently, eternally through his line, a son to come, inaugurating an eternal reign and recovering and recrowning a fallen humanity. You see, a sermon is no good at all if it fails to bring us to Jesus. And so you look at Psalm 8 and you scan uh, the words there and you're saying, well, well I, 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 don't, I don't see Jesus in, in Psalm 8. It's, it's not obvious. I guess, humanly speaking, we could say that he is in the loins of David. But it is as we come to the New Testament and the New Covenant that we find the Gospels and their genealogies that help us make the connections, but also significantly in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus, in his earthly ministry, references Psalm 8. It's wonderful. Turning your Bibles to Matthew 21 and verse 12. Because one of the things I like to emphasize is the connectedness between old and new covenant scripture. And the connectedness that is there that brings us a sense of awareness of the continuation, the continuum of the story, which is wonderful. Verse 12, we're told, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He, is, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children, now that, note the children there, that, that detail is very important here, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? Now, what are these Jewish leaders saying to Jesus? They're saying that you, Jesus, are the promised one of God. Stop them saying this because it's an outrage. And Jesus said to them, have you never read? Have you ne never read that out of the, the mouths of babes and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? Now, Jesus was furious when he went into the temple because the very area, the space that should have been a welcoming place for worshippers was being blocked by inappropriate commerce, shady dealers. And that's why Jesus was so angry and cleared the place. And then the children significantly call out to Jesus, 
Hosanna to the son of David. They are recognizing his messianic credentials. But there's more to come. Do you see what Jesus just did there? As the children cry, the Lord Jesus Christ appropriates words of praise to Yahweh in Psalm 8 to himself. In other words, he's saying to these Jewish leaders, what these children are doing is perfectly appropriate for this is who I am. Here is David and Sammy speaking to Yahweh and saying these words from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Jesus takes those words and appropriates them to himself. For he is God's anointed. He is David's son. He is God from eternity, come to share our humanity, to lift us up by grace through faith in him and his finished work, to recrown us with dignity. This is what Jesus came to do. And he would do so by taking the place of sinners on that cross and rising on the third day so that we can say today the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. And in him, and this is the point, in him we are also being restored. God has not forgotten that human beings are the pinnacle of creation. And all this in a song. All this in a song. You know, I was um, studying this a few weeks ago and I was reminded of an incident that happened to me when um, I, I was going to say when I was working. I, I still do work, but I suppose when I had a real job, you know. And I was in a place in Glasgow called Park Terrace, which is near to the university in Glasgow, and it's a beautiful place, old Victorian buildings. And many of these Victorian buildings have basements. And in the basements, for some reason, probably so that they can run around, there are nurseries. Not the kind of nurseries you put plants in, the nurseries that you put kids in. And I remember walking around Park Circus, and I must have had a lot in my mind. And as I was walking along, I was literally stopped in my tracks. Because down in one of these basement nurseries was a circle of little preschool children. And a wee girl is singing. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And the truth of that 
allied to the tunefulness of that, stopped me in my tracks. Such a simple thing, a beautiful thing for a wee preschool girl to do. But it changed my day. And when we come to discover the truth of God, that's wonderful. But when we sing it together, we just collectively raise our gaze and our day is changed. It was utterly beautiful. So you feeling down? Well, come repenting and believing in Jesus. Sing yourself strong in the truth of your creator. Look at the creation. Get your walking boots on and get out there if you can. And as you look at creation, know that your creator cares for you. And behold your savior. Behold your savior and live in the joy of his salvation. And if here this morning, you're just on the edges, you're on the periphery, and you're not sure about where you stand with God, it's the words of Acts 16 to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus lived. Why? So that his righteousness could be put to your account and God would no longer look in wrath upon you. Jesus died bearing your sin upon the cross. He rose victoriously, conquering sin and death and hell forever. He reigns even now. And one day he will return. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. And we ask, Lord, that we would live in the light of who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus' saving work. Help us, Lord, in whatever stage we find ourselves in life, to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Help us, Lord, to sing his praise with a sense of reality and joy to the glory of your name.